Do you feel politically homeless? Lost in the chaos of modern politics? Not sure who to believe? Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right, here I am stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. Democrats call him a Republican. Republicans call him a socialist. He is Stephen Reynolds, the man in the middle. Welcome to the Man in the Middle podcast, season three. I'm Stephen Reynolds, your host, recording today from the historic WGNS studios located in the heart of the great volunteer state. Joining us today is frequent flyer of the Man in the Middle podcast, Mr. Andy Dickey. Andy, welcome to the Man in the Middle. Thanks for having me. Hello, everyone. Well, thanks for coming, Andy. Uh, It's been about a month since we've been on the air. We had the holidays. Uh, We had some quarantining going on at my house uh, due to the pandemic. Uh, And so much has happened. It's like drinking from a fire hose in the last month. And it's it's hard to even know where to start, Andy. So I'm going to start at the obvious. Let's start at the Capitol and what we all witnessed um, the day of the Electoral College um, authorization, for lack of a better term, the storming of the Capitol, Andy. Uh, what do you think? What do you, you know, let's talk about that. Uh, you know, obviously, like so many people, I think it's, I think it's terrible. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk floating around. Well, you know, because of some things that happened in the summer, then, then, you know, what, how can we be too mad about this? I, I think it's all bad, actually. Like, I just think, you know, if people are feeling uh, persecuted such that they need to, uh, you know, steal a TV from Target or, you know, throw, throw rocks through a window or whatever, you know, that's that's bad. But I don't think it's on the same level as uh, trying to overthrow the government or yeah. try trying to start a key, stop a key function of the government from going forward. Um you know, it's just a, it's just a, a sad commentary on where we are as a country, particularly since it was all based on misinformation. You know, that that's right. kind of my takeaway is that that, it, of course, it's unfortunate, but it's doubly infor- unfortunate because it was based on misinformation surrounding the election. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the thing. Before we did this show, um, you know, obviously we you talk with your guest, and one of the things I said to you, Andy, where do we start? Do we start with the insurrection? And you, and you yeah, made it wild to say that out loud, isn't it? Yeah, right. You so you wrote down insurrection. I can't believe I'm writing this down. So outside of the obvious, I want to focus in on a couple of things about this because every a lot of folks know you know what has happened so far, but we're starting to see some evidence that it was much more nefarious than than what originally what we may have thought there are there may be some evidence that some of these folks were doing reconnaissance missions the day before there is some evidence that uh large cryptocurrency uh deposits were dropped in a lot of white nationalists a lot of troublemakers accounts about a month before this happened um and then there's the there's some things about the president not responding uh, in a timely manner when he was at, you know, when once the Capitol had been taken over. When you start adding all of these things together, Andy, um, what what's your thoughts on that? What do you think about all of this uh, extra stuff that's starting to come in now? I, honestly, so bef- before I go too deep into that, I just have to say that, you know, I'm a dependent, meaning, you know, I had a parent that served in the military a really long time. My wife did as well. Mm-hmm. I lost a classmate in Iraq, too. Uh, 
And I just, you know, and all of that was in support, you know, and we paid a price for that. Like we won't go into that on, on the podcast, but I think you can probably imagine when you have a parent who has served in Vietnam, um, you know, that has implications at home. And all of that was in support of what takes place in that building, right? Like it's not about the building. It's about what takes place there. Right. And so the people at this house take it very personally when something like that happened, right? It doesn't mean that the people that that operate inside that building are saints or they're all perfect, but, but the mechanisms and the, and the, the infrastructure of our country is, is what I'm most concerned about. I think, um, I would caution everybody to, people want to look for simple, neat answers. And I think what we're going to find out is that there were a lot of things going on at once, um, sort of in par- some of them linked to each other and some of them in parallel un- unbeknownst, um, unbeknownst to other people. I think, mm-hmm. um, you, and that's what makes it, th- that would, that makes a perfect scenario for something to get out of hand. It right. isn't particularly, you know, and you'll have some people that wanted it to get out of hand and other people that didn't want it to get out of hand. And I, I just think what we have to stick to is just the definition of things. Right. And the law. Right. So, People yeah. want to push back on this idea of using the words insurrection or coup. Both of those are accurate. And I think um, ignorance of the law is is not a defense, right? So if, if people want to look at the definition, start with the dictionary. Look up the definition of insurrection and coup. Not how you feel. And this has been a problem I've been having with people for going on four years now, is that I don't care about your feelings. I don't care that you feel that it's not an insurrection look at the definition of insurrection and coup and then come back and tell me if you think that's what it was, because they sure do match the, at least the dictionary that I own, it sure does match that, that definition. Don't you think? I I really think it does, Andy. This isn't the Cleveland Browns football fans happy that they won a playoff game and drunk burning a car down outside. This is much more consequential. What just symbolically what happened. One of the things I left out when I asked you this question there's some evidence that the panic buttons were ripped out of congressional yeah. offices a week Congresswoman prior. Presley, Con- Congresswoman Presley, who's a member of the so-called squad. Right. So that, that kind of adds a layer of, of intrigue to it because she wasn't just any congressperson. You know? Right. So she she was a member, a member of the, quote, hated squad uh, that a lot of uh, – extreme right-wing folks really can't stand. Right. And so uh, this whole call for unity, uh, there's a couple of things in the way. First, Andy, would you agree that justice has to be done before there can really be any unity? And um, the, the the other part of that question is, is that we can talk about policy issues and we can talk about a lot of different things and disagree, but if we can't agree on facts, there will be no unity. Do you agree with that? I totally agree. And I think back to the summer, you know, people have that. I'm tired of people assuming that, you know, there are people that are okay with that. I'm sure there's a narrow slice of people that are okay, okay with that. But I want to be crystal clear. If somebody throws a Molotov cocktail through a business window or steals a TV from the Minneapolis target or whatever, they should be charged with that. And they should be judged by a judge or a jury of their peers and they should pay a price for that should they be found guilty all i want is for the exact same thing to happen with these folks so if the law says that you cannot be on the capitol grounds at a particular time or a particular part of the capitol or whatever the rules are whatever laws have been broken they should be charged with that and that's where it all begins i don't think 
Um, all this talk about unity, um, I have two feelings on that. The first one is there cannot be any unity without accountability. So it starts with accountability, then we move to unity. So if you look at all the crises that have happened around the world, they always start with a truth and reconciliation. Like right. if you take apartheid in South Africa, they didn't begin any sort of healing until people were held responsible for the things that happened. The trials at happened. Nuremberg, right? After yeah, that's, world another, war II. that's another good. Mm -hmm. That's another good example. And I think it's why we have this concept in, in our legal system of restitution. Right. So if you do something to somebody, you have to somehow pay your debt to society or the person that that you've harmed, and then. If that family or whatever, and we've all seen it on television, wants to then go meet with the perpetrator of that murder or that crime, um, that's their choice to do it. But it doesn't begin with that. It begins with them starting their prison sentence or or what have you, right? And I, I think that I think that should should apply here. But I also think politically, which is what we talk about a lot on this show, it's a miscalculation on the part of of the people calling for unity and healing and not holding anybody responsible. Uh, because we haven't seen any video from the official surveillance cameras. Details continue to come out. So, you know, they're out here defending people without the facts, with a, with a partial picture of the facts. Right, right. Even though they don't even know what has happened, that's that's exactly right. And and that's part of why we're saying that we don't know the whole picture yet. But there's starting to be some very disturbing evidence that's starting to come out about this that it could have been premeditated. Andy, you touched on something. I, think it, I, I just want to say I think it was premeditated. Yeah, my my opinion. That that's what it. The more and more evidence is showing. I you know I really unfortunately it seems like it's going there. And as a result of that. Now we have family members and friends calling the FBI and turning relatives over or talking about suspicious behavior of their relatives. We've got a lot of Americans that are very concerned about, um, for lack of a better term, Andy, the indoctrination of half of this country. Uh, we talk about this often on this podcast. Talk about how these folks were radicalized just like an ISIS jihadist, Andy. We talk well, about that. I mean, it depends on how how far you you want to go back. I think um, I'll try to be brief. I I think this starts with you know this sort of thing used to be limited to, and you probably remember this. I'm a city kid. I grew up in Nashville, and they used to pass out the you know the guy with the sandwich board passing out flyers about the mark of the beast and and all of these things. Um, guys on ham radios talking about aliens and things like that. Right. Um, it used to be limited to that. And I think um, what's happened is everybody started with Paul Harvey. You know, talk radio got big around him. And then those same radio stations that carried him started to pick up people like Rush and, and other people. And then late at night, you know, you had Coast to Coast and all this stuff of where they would talk about different theories and stuff. Mm -hmm. Right. But it, it didn't happen over, you know, it didn't happen overnight is my point. It was like boiling a frog. And then in the midst of all this is that, that's happening is that the Reagan administration did away with the fairness doctrine. Right. So we, we started we went from a very structured media, very wholesome type things. Right. Um, and then it just sort of progressed over time. And I think it's wrong for people to think the reason why I'm bringing this up is people want to blame the Internet. It started long before the Internet was in in households right or on telephone on mobile phones and so you kind of fast forward in the early days of the internet it wasn't a huge problem 
And when I say early days, I'm talking late 90s, even early 2000s, because the number of users was not that high. So right. you didn't have a lot of mo what the terms moderation. So people going in and moderating forums and saying, hey, you can't say that or you're kicked out or whatever. You didn't have a need for heavy moderation because the user level wasn't that high. Right now, these technologies are ubiquitous. So you've got 2.7 billion people signed up for Facebook and 330 million people signed up for Twitter. And those are just two services. I mean, there's many services. And so now you can reach out and touch someone anywhere in the world and mm -hmm. say anything. And right. if you've so if you've already primed them with other types of media. Right. And ideas know, and ideas and ideas. So you've primed them. You know, if you so, for instance, you take a Rush or a G. Gordon Liddy back in the day or all these guys. So they would prime people with these discussions about Area 51, particularly G. Gordon Liddy would kind of have guests on and talk about those sort of things. So you spent years priming those people, mm -hmm. you know, day after day after day. And now in, insert the Internet, insert social media, insert QAnon. And it, it's it's not a giant, you know, you're not taking giant leaps. That's what people need to remember. These things are happening little by little over a long period of time. Insert nation state looking for an advantage to take. Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah. And, I do, and, and we do know that nation states do participate in these kind of activities and try to spread these these sorts of ideas. And I think um, the biggest parallel that I see between, you know, we can talk all day about radicalization and what that could take any form. So all yes. this is, is a form of radical radicalization, Al Qaeda using the Internet, ISIS using the Internet to do that. Um, but what what you will see in reverse that I found really fascinating is that these companies, the same tools they use to combat ISIS, they're using them to combat this situation right now as well. Right. This is this is not new. It's interesting to watch people act like they're shocked as if or shocked and surprised as if it's a new thing. They're employing the same playbook they used against ISIS. They are, and especially during the Arab Spring, you know, they knocked off Twitter, they knocked off Facebook, because that is a place for people to go organize insurrection in real time. That's that's yes. the whole reason. And you and I have talked about this a million times before, private property. We've gone into this about how Facebook is not banning your free speech because you're in their backyard and you've agreed to their terms of agreement. So the same goes for the president of the United States. One of the reasons why I stay off Twitter so long, Andy, and wouldn't get involved with Twitter because they would not shut Donald Trump down off of Twitter. Of the clearly violated their uh, terms and conditions multiple times. You were not you. If you or I said the same things Donald Trump did, they would have shut us down. We would have been in Twitter jail more times than once. But they refused to do that and show privilege to the president of the United States. And finally. Uh, after an insurrection was organized using their services and they realized how liable they may be, uh, they finally did that to the president. Andy, I've got an, one more question for you. Sure. And I want to do an entire um, – I'm talking to a guy now that does the conspiracy theory, uh, theory stuff. I want to do a deep dive on the psychology of that on an entire show because there are a lot of families that are very concerned. Uh, how do we deprogram grandpa? Uh, because yeah. Grandpa doesn't believe in facts anymore, and uh, we can't get we can't have any unity or get along with anything till we agree with facts. But Andy, here is my question for you: If you could travel back in time and and speak to President Abraham Lincoln, and you told Abraham Lincoln that the great 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 grandchildren of the seditionist 
of the insurrectionists from the first Civil War would flip parties to the party of Lincoln and would try it again. Do you think that uh, because Lincoln protected Washington no matter what, that was critical during the Civil War was to not have any sort of insurrection going on inside the city of Washington. They fought three or four major battles to keep that from happening. Andy, what would Abraham Lincoln say about the current state of the Republican Party and about this insurrection? He'd probably laugh me out of the room if I said that was going to happen. Yeah, he would never believe it. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't honestly don't think he would ever believe it. Um, I don't know. I mean, I I honestly question myself. And when I get up in the morning, sometimes do I believe that this is happening? It it is surreal. Yeah. Very when surreal. you look at the participants, a lot of them being veterans, uh, members of the of various police forces, fire departments, Olympic gold medalist, yeah, professionals, and this sort of stuff, and women, and it, and it re- women, men mm-hmm. doesn't matter. I mean, mm-hmm. it what it what it reminds me of is Jonestown. I mean, if yeah, you right. look at the if you look at the profile of the people um, mm-hmm. that that went down to South America with him, these right. were were not sort of your societal outcasts these were lawyers and and professional people that that decided to follow him you know before they left and then you know they followed him down there and then ultimately a lot of them met their demise so um i have to remind myself of these things that this has happened before and that it's not a huge it shouldn't be a huge shock and that we have to be on guard with it what i would like to see is a concerted effort to try to fix the problem i think right um like take the ad council, you know, they do PSAs and things like that. That's one component I think we should look at. Mm-hmm. Um, I would like some guidance. I would like some guidance. How do I approach, you know, I'm not a psychologist. So a lot of times what I find is the harder you push back on people, the more entrenched they become. That's correct. So mm-hmm. I would like some advice from someone who knows that how in a fact-based way, because what I don't want to do is shut down facts. I mean, just because right. someone believes in that stuff, doesn't mean everything coming out of their mouth is wrong, right? Right. I just want to attack the real, you know, issue of non-factual stuff. And and I'd like some advice from a psychologist. So if you could get somebody on that, I, that could take us through that, I would be well very, the, very grateful. The the ideal candidate is Dr. Terry Whiteside, who is the dean of psychology here at Middle Tennessee mm-hmm. State University. And I was so fortunate as a young man to have a persuasion class with him back in the late 80s when he was a professor before he was the dean. And, and they covered everything from Chinese water, water torture to modern day sales techniques. But one of the things that you reminded me of was in a cult of personality, uh, the followers, their their entire identification in some way is attached to this movement. Yes. And when the movement comes crashing down, two things happen. And this is what's got the FBI profilers kind of skittish right now. Because when a cult leader crashes, two things happen. The people that are the followers, they either continue the lie, which we see happening now. We see even in Trump's semi-concession uh, speech People were reading into that. Oh, he didn't really mean that, and he was sending us Morse code. And so they either continue the lie or they get suicidal or they get homicidal. And that's what the concern is from the FBI big time. We saw a banker in Atlanta 
vice president yeah, of a bank, unfortunately, yeah. unfortunately took his own life. That's a tragedy. That's it a is tragedy. a tragedy. A, need, a needless tragedy. These are our fellow Americans, and we have to figure out a way to get this country back on track. And the only way to do that is when we start agreeing on facts again, Andy. Um, any more you'd like to add about this? Yeah, just um, take it easy, everybody. I think it's a it's a dangerous time in that, like you were saying, that a lot of times you have these movements. So whether the movement's based on a group or on an individual, what people end up doing is merging their own identity and their own ego. And I mean, don't mean ego in the negative sense. Like we all have an ego and a sense of self. Right. And then when you merge your own sense of self with a group um, or a person, that can often and <laughs> – many times is really unhealthy and so when when the group or the person that they've merged their identity with comes crashing down they also can come crashing down yes that's the last thing that i think any of us want it's too easy to be very dismissive of people that believe strange things and we've got to have a smarter better way of how we navigate forward or we'll pay the price we'll all pay the price when every human life is valuable Yes. And not just that, not live, not just live or die, but the quality of their life as well ought to matter to everyone. Yeah. And it matters to me and I know it matters to you. So I, that would be my message on this topic is just uh, tread carefully. Well, uh, you know, for me, Andy, it is a matter of national security. And this is a perfect segue into the the virus, which obviously we're going to talk about again. But these are national security issues. In order to have a strong society, we've got to be healthy and we have to be mentally healthy and in touch with reality. So let's move on to the virus, Andy. Can you believe that 11 months ago, you and I were sitting here on this podcast in season two? It hasn't even been a year yet, even though it seems like 10. Yeah. Um, But we were talking about surveillance. We were talking about uh, even to the point where some folks probably thought we were alarmist, that we were overreacting. But even then, Andy, could could you imagine that 11 months later, even as bad as we thought it could be, could you imagine it was going to be this bad, Andy? I really didn't. Yeah. And and the reason why I didn't is that I think people – People are very confused about what American greatness r- really is, particularly, you know, from the outside looking in. Like, what is it that when I come in, I travel around the world, as you know, and wh- what is it that how do people see us? And you can only, you know, know that so much by talking to people. But what I do know is American greatness to people outside of this country is not money. It's not freedom because we don't want to go there about what freedom really is because that's all relative to who you are. Mm -hmm. What we're famous for is our competence. Yeah. You know, our currency in the world is that those people over there in that place, the United States of America can just they just have it together and they can get things done. And they're not perfect. But given (laughs) given a chance, those people solve problems and get things done, like creating the assembly line. You know, the Internet, like we could list off a million and one greatest health care in the world. Right. Greatest health. Yeah. In the world. So I, I just think uh, that's what's so shocking is that I, too, think that our stock and trade and what really makes America great is our competence. Yeah. You know, people are hardworking, uh, diligent and can get things done. And we didn't get it done with this. And that, that was a, a surprise. Yeah. And, and continues to be. And the same things that we talked about a year ago primarily surveillance and isolation of this virus. It's just like it's just flown out the window. 
and we yeah. have we have just moved on to uh, coming in tonight, Andy, into the studio to record tonight. I can and I realize there's football playoff games going on, but there are establishments across town, and I know they're all struggling, but they are packed full of people tonight. They are, yeah. And and even though we have this uh, mutated strain, let's talk about that a little bit, Andy. We're starting to see this variant. The whole reason why you want to isolate and shut things down and isolate the virus is so that it doesn't mutate beyond the vaccine that we have capable. Would would you agree with that, Andy? Yeah, that's the biggest benefit of containment. That that is the reason why you want to have a good containment strategy is because you want. The, the, as many times as this thing replicates itself, that, that is increasing the possibility that it will mutate yes. and mutate into something that is vaccine resistant or antibiotic resistant if you're talking about a bacteria. So right. I, I just and I'm not a doctor, you know, I'm an engineer. I'm not I'm yeah. not a bio, I'm right. not a biochemist or anything like that. I'm not a biologist, but but you um, did pass high school want, biology, though, right, Andy? I mean, you, yeah, yeah. I that's mean, why you is, want to contain it. You yeah. want to you want to you want to stop the replication because right. the fewer replications you have, the fewer chances of uh, vaccine resistant mutations that you have. Right, absolutely, and and so that's the whole reason for containment. But uh, it looks like help is on the way, Andy. Um, Joe Biden released a huge plan. $20 billion just for testing, just for the very things that we're just talking yeah. about, surveillance and the vaccine rollout. Andy, what do you think? We've got a plan now. And I'm sure that we'll hear yeah. a lot of a lot of uh, criticism of the plan. But, hey, isn't it nice to see a plan? It's nice to see a plan. I know we've had some criticism of the amounts of money that, that he wants to spend. And I hope he's really careful about that, just purely from a political perspective, because this is a unique time in history that he had, you know, he there and it's not the only I shouldn't use the word unique, but it, it is that one of those times in history where he has a chance to win over hearts and minds. Yeah. And if he gets too too free with the money and that sort of thing, there are some moderates that won't like that. So right. uh, hopefully he is explain he will explain what he's spending it on um, and be very specific and really have the ability to show where the money the money is going. It is nice to have a plan. Um the pace at which we are vaccinating people at this moment in time, at least in Tennessee, it's going to take 10 years to vaccinate everybody. Yeah. And that's that's not that can't stand. No. That, can, that cannot be. And and the governor's been basically MIA. I mean, when was the last time you saw, saw him stood in front of a camera? Yeah, I'll tell you, uh, I haven't seen the governor. Well, really, since before Christmas, to be quite honest. And with all of this going on, it, there's a lot of things that I would like to know, like why he allowed the, our attorney general to sign on to this uh, lawsuit uh, in the Supreme Court. Anyway, I would love to <laughs> ask Governor Lee a lot of questions. Why is his pastor attending an insurrection in Washington? There's a well, thousand to be not questions. Pastor, according to what we what we heard today. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, I just unbelievable on that, um, Andy. The the one thing that we we keep talking about. Uh, well, we we always heard that there's a one percent chance that this virus is going to kill you. You know that the death rate is is uh, there's a ninety nine percent chance of survivor uh, of surviving this virus. Andy, what if that was ten percent? What if you had a ninety percent chance? of surviving this virus. Do you think we would have behaved any differently? Certainly we're talking about there would be at least be 2 million people dead by now and a lot more yeah, we people Yeah, we infected. would behave differently. I mean, I, I'll give you an analogy. Mm -hmm. If you were to drop kids off at, at school in Carline, you know, and you knew that every 10th car is going to have a dead kid. Right. 
you know, like that, that those kind of things people get weird about. I mean, there's been studies about what numbers people are okay with when it comes to mortality and, and things like that. I think um, yeah. it also matters who's passing away. So if, mm-hmm. if someone's older, people tend to be more insensitive about that. And I, yeah. I'm not saying, obviously, I don't think that's correct way right. to view the world, but I'm just pointing out that, that it's a all reality. These factors, yeah, yeah the, all these factors play into it. Right. I think there's too much of an obsession, and I've said it on the show before, too much of an obsession with mortality. Oh, yeah. There are a whole whole host of problems that can occur off the back of this that that, that don't include death. Correct. Um, every, everything from getting it and having to go through the hassle of getting tested and quarantined and being, you know, you get a positive, but you're asymptomatic, but you can't go around anybody for 10 days. That's a hassle. Right. Um, you know, you've got a colleague that was out uh, for a month. Right. Right. Um, w- with it. That's bad for the economy. That's, that's bad for that person. That's bad for a particular business that faces that. So I really don't understand why so many are so cavalier about it. It I, doesn't. And I, it's. I, that'll, and, That'll follow me the rest of my life. I don't understand it. Yeah, and it's back to that national security issue that I was talking about. Okay, um, there are issues that, let's say you survive it, but there are lots of people who are going to have issues for the rest of their life because yeah. of it. That raises the overall health care cost in this country exponentially. We don't know how much yet, but it's certainly going to make everyone's insurance go up just for the fact that we're going to have to care for the people with all of these uh, heart issues, lung issues, various issues that they're having, uh, even though they survived the virus, so uh, overall, it's really bad. Andy, let's 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 swap off of that. We've we've touched on that. I want to get a little bit local here. Uh, Mr. Remus was recently elected as the Democratic yeah. uh, Tennessee TNDP chair. Um, want to ask your opinion about that? It's after 200 years of the Democratic Party in the state of Tennessee, we finally have a man of color uh, leading the state party. And what do you, I will point out, you'd be surprised how many people don't know, Tennessee is the birthplace of the Democratic Party. Yeah, yeah. So, well, yeah. Andy, Andy Jack- Jackson. That's right, Andy Jackson. Yeah. And uh, now we have uh, a black man leading the party, and I think it's great, Andy. Well, I mean, we were pulling for Robin, but Robin's a, Robin uh, endorsed uh, Mr. Remus, and we're happy to hear that. Um, anyways, Robin's gonna, she was definitely, she was definitely my first choice. I mean, it's hard to beat, it's hard to beat her resume. It is. Um, I, you know, I've had a lot of strong women in my life. I know people will think this is sexist to kind of favor a woman. Um, but I had a lot of strong women in my life that made me the guy that I am and I value their perspective. Right. And Mm -hmm. their and their ability to lead a group of people. And, um, so, you know, she was my first choice, but I'm, I'm happy that Remus got it. Um, you know, he's got a great resume too, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, oh, he's think, very impressive. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I think the the country in particular Democrats in this country own a debt of gratitude to black folks. I mean, yes. they saved 2020. So, you know, yes. Joe was off, you know, fifth place. He was, out of, he was yeah, he was going to lose. He was out of the game and then black folks got up off their couch and said, "You know what? I'm going to go vote for Joe." And they they handed it to him. They did the same thing in November. They did the same thing in the Georgia uh, runoff and delivered so, the Senate. Yep. Yeah, they delivered it. And I think um, the key to making progress in Tennessee, um, you know, that word progress, progressive, if you want to, if you want to push a progressive agenda and pick up seats, you're going to have to activate the black community if yeah, you're a Democrat. Absolutely. So, and you need somebody that has the ability to do that. And I think Remus has the ability to do that. He has strong connections both in Memphis and in Nashville. And that's a huge, 
you know, every part of Tennessee is important, but those are huge chunks of the electorate. Yes. And, and I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm bullish. I'm, I'm feeling really positive. Yeah, I, I, I really do too. I think uh, the, um, I think that there's going to be a moment to unify a lot of the folks in the party here. I think uh, anyway, very excited and optimistic and bullish on this. And Robin, as I told Robin, you know, um, she's got bigger things in front of her. I would love to see her. Oh, yeah. I would love to see her debate Bill Lee as the nominee for yes. governor in two years. Oh yes. You talk about yeah. deer in the headlights. I don't know. He probably wouldn't debate her. I, he, if he was smart, I wouldn't want to debate her. I would wouldn't you either. Want to debate her? No, no, there's no <laughs> way. Yeah. I mean, I would be nervous about that for sure. So anyway, she's, br- I, she's brilliant yes. and, and she's also very kind. And yes. those are people that are de- dangerous on the debate. Yes, that, like they, they know how to cut you without cutting you. If that's you know what exactly I mean. right. That's exactly right. Well, let's keep it local again, Andy. One of your passionate issues was the uh, Murfreesboro Electric Department, the sale recently about a year ago, uh, seems like 10 once again, of the Murfreesboro Electric Department onto the local cooperative, Middle Tennessee Electric. Um, I remember we followed this story very close at the time. It seemed that every I was dotted and every T was crossed. And six months later, we find out that wasn't the case. Andy, could you explain what happened? Well, what happened is that so, okay, so municipal entities or, you know, municipal enterprises play what's called a pilot payment or a payment in lieu of taxes. Right. Because, you know, government entities don't pay taxes they take taxes in but if you've got a basically what amounts to uh an enterprise that the city or a county or whatever owns um you know they just as though that was a private business they want to pay some tax or some payment to contribute to the community um and tva regulates that how much that should be and um and that sort of thing right um so they were paying that for decades you know back to the 30s um, and contributing to the community in that way. And then when they were sold, that those pilot payments ended. And what was supposed to happen is there is a state entity that was tapped to do the property assessment for the MED portion that the Middle Tennessee Electric Cooperative bought. And for whatever reason, months have gone by and that assessment has not occurred. So we have no pilot payment and no property tax payment in that gap. And it amounted to um, an amount over $900,000 and it blew a hole in the budget uh, that size, but also it put some other funding that I think, don't quote me on this because I couldn't get a straight answer, not because anybody was misleading me, but they didn't really know either that um, it, blew, it, it might it might cause some state funding to get be in jeopardy around budget accuracy. So I'll think of it almost like a bonus. That's how it was explained to me. Right. And that may not be correct. But so it's the nine hundred thousand plus this other funding that they might lose off the back of it. I mean, it needs to be corrected. I think my opinion, and I and I have shared this with uh, members of the of the Murfreesboro City Council in private, that the city should make the county whole on that. Right. And the reason why I think that is that from a citizen's perspective, this is all our money. Mm-hmm. You know, it's they're not running. You know, they're someone tried to bring it up in a, not the previous city council meeting, but the one before that. And nobody wanted to talk about it. And that's that's what you do when you're in a business and you say, hey, I sold this thing. That's not my problem. Well, guess what? The city's not a business. Right. And frankly, I don't like to see um, things run in terms of what we can get away with. That's a bad pattern that I've been seeing for years now that we're going to do things based on what we can get away with, not on what's right. Um 
And I would gladly say that to any member of the council, the mayor, city manager, I'd gladly say that to their face. So as a taxpayer, uh, all this money is our money. And as a rate payer for Middle Tennessee Electric, it's our money. Mm -hmm. And so my message to them is you all need to just work it out. Yeah. You have the money. You the have city has the money. Right. Yeah, the city has the money from the sale. Uh -huh. uh, you know, Middle Tennessee Electric, they ought to owe that money. It's property they, they own now. So yeah, but now some of our locals. Yeah, I agree. Some of our locals would tell you that uh, the city's already spent it, Andy. So they don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, we've already paid it. That's my message to them: is that we've already paid you all, you three right. entities, the co-op, the county, and the city. We've already paid you. So I don't want to get into this left pocket, right pocket, back pocket stuff. All you're doing is taking my money and moving it around different pockets. So move it. Yeah, fix, fix it. it. Yeah, right. Exactly. Andy, one more thing, and we, we're going to have to go, but um, uh, you reminded me of something there. Why? Uh, I'm going to shift back to Nashville on you uh, now that we pointed out what's going on here locally. Um, why is the governor of Tennessee the only one referring to this uh, Medicaid as a block grant and no one else is? And why is this Tennessee legislature suspending their own rules again? Just like they do in Washington for the Trump tax cut, they suspended their own rules. Uh, why are they doing this to ram through a block grant, Andy? They're they're trying to run it through before uh, President Trump leaves office, mm -hmm. so that it's in place and started before the Biden administration begins, and they try to to shut it down. Right. I think if we go back in history a little bit to the seventies, the Nixon administration really looked hard at at overhauling our healthcare system even back then. Right. And when block grants came up, I mean, they're, I'm obviously paraphrasing, but they felt like block grants were pretty stupid. Yeah. Well, well. <laughs> they, they, they were really negative. I mean, they were really negative towards block grants even back then. So, I mean, even if the Nixon administration thought it was a bad idea, no, none of the other 50 states have something like this. I, I just want to ask um, the state, the, the state legislature that's, that's, supermajority Republican, why do we have to be the first to do every stupid thing? Yeah. We just <laughs> I, I mean, this year sets, uh, is the prime example of why a block grant doesn't work. We probably, due to the virus, due to the pandemic, would have run out of money by March, April. Yeah. And then everyone else after that would have just been on your own, well, which we pretty yeah. much are now. That's, that's how block grants. That's how block grants work. Yeah, and and here's the other thing too: if the Republicans really believe their own rhetoric that Joe Biden and the Democrats were going to push socialized medicine on everyone, then why why are they worried? Why are they trying to pass this through if they believe their own message that we're about to have socialized medicine in this country? Why would they even be worried about a block grant? That's because they know it's a lie, Andy. They're telling people a lie about Joe Biden. I think Biden. what people have lost sight of is that yeah. it's people's lived experience. Right. So actually, the lived experience of people as it relates to health care, if it's bad, they're more likely to support Medicare, something like a Medicare for all. Right. So it's kind of counterintuitive what they're doing is that if you pass these block grants, people will have a very bad experience. Right. And then all you're doing is it's, it's sort of like when you kill a terrorist, you make two more, you know, that old adage. Yes, it's correct. Sort of like, you know, it, or every time you kill an innocent person while you're attempting 
to kill a terrorist you know you're making two terrorists right mm -hmm. so it's the same thing here if you're trying to if you're ensuring that people are going to have a bad experience around how the state deals with health care then all you're doing is creating supporters for medicare for all i i just think it's a really terrible miscalculation on on their part even politically beyond uh, beyond the practicalities of it and i will say this is that the, the reason why they want to do this is they want to get our fiscal right. They want Tennessee to have the number one fiscal rating of any state in the country. Right. But nobody can see, nobody can seem to tell me when I phone them up and ask them, what is that worth? What right. does that even do for us? Yeah. And I, you know, I'm not a genius or anything, but I'm, I'm not a dumb guy. And I couldn't tell you, I don't know what that does for us. Right. I mean, we have right. to have a balanced budget anyway. So, I mean, because the Democrats passed that law, once again, uh, they're forced yeah. to take a balanced budget. About 40% of the Tennessee budget is filled by the federal government, which really uh, gets in their craw. But, but this program, supposedly, they have some. if they can make some savings, then they can keep those savings, which means they can take that federal money and put it in a program that they want to see work rather than uh, expanding it into health care. So there are incentives here that I see to actually reduce health care services even more so yes. that they can keep yeah. that money and put it into the programs that they approve of. And um, I, that's just uh, – why not just take the billions of dollars that we've already missed from the Medicaid expansion? Uh, think of the people that have died already this year because they couldn't receive health care, because they couldn't afford health care, because we didn't expand Medicaid – and it would be the simplest thing to do, waiting on the next step for the government. So, um, anyway, Andy, thanks for that. I just wanted to to see where you were on this uh, well, big picture, block grant. Big picture. What's funny? This is my real opinion: is that they are putting us on a path where we will end up with the exact opposite of what they of what want. they want. Yeah, I, I yeah. genuinely believe now. Now, if that's ten years, twenty years, whenever that is, they are creating a situation where. People are going to hate what we have so badly that it's going to swing back completely the other way. They've over they're overplaying their hand, and so yeah. by all means, carry on. I'm a, I'm a proponent for Medicare for all. By yeah. all means, car carry on. Well, I love Biden's proposal of choice. Give people of I choice, do too. right? Yeah. People love choice. So, and then let the people decide which one is best for their family and themselves. So, Andy, um, we're going to have to wrap it up. It's been a great show. We've touched on a lot of topics as we always do. Uh, we've got to just pick one sometime and do a deep dive on it. Uh, we, we, yeah, we should. Yeah, we had planned. We've, we've been out so long and 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 so many things going on. It's like drinking from a fire hose. Like well, you said. That's what I was going to say. We we had planned to do it. We were going to do one on the Netflix series about uh, a social dilemma which is a, yeah. a, a flick out there, but then the insurrection happened. So, I, yeah. I mean, uh, how often do you get an insurrection? You know, it's kind of makes the news uh, when people try to overthrow the government. But, Andy, anything you'd like to leave our guest with? Yeah, I've just people dig into the issues, really. So, you know, like I said at the beginning, before you deny something's a, a coup or an insurrection, you know, look at a dictionary and I would say the same thing about all this talk. You know, we, we kind of lightly touched it on social media and so-called censorship, which it's not. You know, look up look up the definition of censorship. And then finally, if you're going to go on social media or talk with your friends about Section 230, maybe read it. Yeah, know what it means. And understand. You might change your, you might change your opinion about, uh, about it, or you might change your opinion about 
what you're hearing around it because a lot of it's yeah, not accurate. That's correct. Yeah. Well, Andy, thank you so much for joining uh, the man in the middle this week. Folks, I'm Stephen Reynolds, and I'll see you next week. Oh,